Welcome to the Knowledge for Teachers podcast. My name is Brendan Lee, and I will be chatting to researchers, teachers, and experts about what evidence-informed education is and the nuances involved with actually implementing effective and sustainable school-based education. Before we start, I would like to acknowledge the land that we are all on today. I am on the beautiful land of the Darug and Gundungurra people in the lower blue mountains of New South Wales, Australia. I would like to pay respect to the elders both past, present and emerging, who are the traditional custodians of this country. As we learn together today, I would like to extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. This land always was and always will be the land of the First Nations people. This is the second part of my story on Marsden Road Public School. In the first episode, I spoke with their principal, Manisha Gazula. Her story has inspired thousands of educators around the world with Troy Wood saying, this was so refreshing, anything is possible with great leadership. Manisha Gazul approves it. Nicole Edwards said, this sounds like a school everyone should visit. And Ollie Lovell tweeted, a common thread between many successful school leaders is a crystal clear vision and a willingness to put students first. Manisha Gazula exemplifies this. If you haven't already heard that episode, I highly recommend that you give that a listen. Today, you will hear from their Deputy Principal Troy Veray. He is a highly respected educator in his own right and is also a shining example of Manisha's ability to support the development of her staff. In this chat, Troy details the core program and describes what it looks like in the classroom. So here is my chat with Troy Veray. Really excited to be joined by Troy Veray today. Troy is a Deputy Principal at Marsden Road Public School, a, a current member of the Macquarie University Centre for Reading Advisory Board and founding member of the Sharing Best Practice Committee. Troy, can you please tell us a bit about your journey and how you ended up in the position that you were in today? Thanks, Brendan. Yeah, so it's a little bit different than most teachers. Um, you often hear they had, you know, that the inspiring teacher, you know, dead bolt society standing on the desk, getting them all excited. But I didn't really yep. have that teacher growing up. I had plenty of great teachers, but nothing like that. Yep. Um, it was sort of I was encouraged by someone that I admired. So um, finished school and started a science degree. Um, I sort of like chemistry and maths, but then I found the study hard. I was never really shown how to study or what to do. Yeah. Uh, and then it just through chance having a chat with my grandfather uh, and he's he's like you should be a teacher you're good with kids I had a, a one of my brothers is 10 years younger than me I was good with him and cousins and whatnot so yeah. it was yeah I admired my grandfather and he said you should try it so I switched to teaching and uh, four years later I finished my degree and started teaching uh, in Europe so I moved to London oh, wow. a couple of years there teaching there and um, moved to West London like most Australians and Kiwis and whatnot do when they go to London um, taught in a school in West London, uh, high English as a second language, uh, a lot of refugees, low SES. Um, and then by chance, I uh, had to teach phonics. So that was when they mandated phonics there in the UK. Yep. Um, I didn't know why, but I thought it was it seemed pretty good because the kids were sort of learning the code and it made sense to me rather than just doing reading groups and yeah, sitting the kids through it sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I finished there 2011, came back to Australia, Southwest Sydney, um, and I've been teaching there since. Uh, and then I started at Mars and Road about 2012, I think 2013, um, and been there since pretty much. Yeah, so you kind of bypassed the balanced literacy um, kind of saga in a way. 
Uh, I sort of got bits and pieces of it. So sort of I took a little bit with me because that's what I learned at uni, but then yeah. phonics was happening in London. So I sort of picked up all of that. Uh, I mainly did it because I had to. I didn't really know why. Um, and then came back to Australia with brought my bit of phonics with me and was trying to do a bit of both and it, it just wasn't working sort of thing. And then, you know, we'll talk about it later, but Manisha came along and we, we went down the science of reading and that side of things and it makes more sense now for me. Yeah, so starting back at um so at Marsden Road when when you got there um were you trying to like instill changes straight away or were you kind of finding your feet a little bit did you did you start as a um a middle leader or, or classroom teacher uh so I started in the classroom I started um started stage three and then the following year went to kindy so I sort of had to jump straight back into teaching early readings um and I just did my own thing sort of thing to start with uh, and then my and my middle leader at the time noticed what I was doing with phonics and what um, impact that was having with the kids. And so I did a little bit of PL sort of presenting to my peers and things like that. Um, and then a couple of years later, Opportunity came, became a middle leader and then built through there. And then Manisha came along and we made the changes and started building up from there. Yeah. So as you know, I have also spoken to Manisha and are you able to just talk about the impact that she had when she did start at Marsden Road? Yeah. So we're recently we've been looking at the vision uh, of the school and there's a line in there where we say we aspire to give our students a lot of a choice not chance and I think it's the same for our teachers now we're giving them the teachers choice not chance sort of thing um before Manisha came all of our teachers were working hard but we're sort of not pointing in the same direction um you know sort of stage one were doing their thing and pushing really hard stage two were doing their thing but we didn't have that consistency across the school um and so sometimes you'd get uh, what did you learn last year oh how come your teacher didn't teach that you should have done that sort of thing um whereas when Manisha came 2016 uh 20 uh, mid 2016 2017 um brought a brought a lot of change um and yeah really brought student focus so everything is about the students uh you know sometimes it'll be challenging or hard for the teachers but we focus on the kids and we want to build that successful learning through the school with Manisha yeah and, and you know Manisha's got a, a reputation as being pretty fierce in a way um you know how how have you found her you know personally and, and dealing with her as a, a principal look I, I she sometimes been said to be fierce but I find if you yeah, do what's expected, work hard for the kids. There's nothing to worry about. I think the high standards she has is amazing. Like um, when she came in, you know, we, we changed our teaching and learning, changed our well-being. Uh, professional learning is all focused now. Like everything has to do with what are we doing uh, to improve our, our ability as teachers to help the kids have better outcomes at the end of the day. Uh, and everything just aligns now. And um, to get there, we provide it for the teachers and the students as well. It's not like, all right, teachers, we expect you to do X, Y, Z, but don't give them support. Now we, we have support for our brand new teachers at the school. We teach them like, teach them like apprentices. Um, our middle leaders for curriculum are in the classroom every couple of days to start with and sort of and really guide them through. Same like we do with the kids, you know, gradual release of responsibility. We do that with our teachers, our new teachers. Um, and we've just, you know, everything's evidence informed now and really driving through our teaching, our learning, our well-being, PL. It's 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 massive change. Yeah. So 
Today, I really want to talk to you about, you know, some of those changes that have been made and in particular looking at, um, you know, the core program in a bit more detail. Yeah. Um, so are you able to just go through, you know, what a general day looks like? And, and obviously, this is going to be um, a bit different from, you know, say, kindergarten up through to year six. Um, but, you know, starting uh, at the start of the day, and, and I've got a bit of an idea having uh, been to the school earlier this year, but... Um, one of the things that you start with is something called morning routine. And, you know, there will be a lot of different interpretations of what a morning routine is, but are you able to go through, you know, what the general morning routine looks like at Marsden Road? Yeah. Do you mind if I take a little step back before I get into morning routine? Definitely. So with our core program, it starts with our PL. So I mentioned just before, everything at the school, the PL drives it. So we make sure our teachers, know, we know about biologically primary, secondary stuff, uh, understanding the difference between a novice and an expert, building schema, cognitive load theory. Um, teachers have got a good understanding of explicit teaching. So we're going to teach novices explicitly so we can build their schema and then eventually they'll have more skills and strategies as they move further along. So I think that starts yeah. Um, that's like a prerequisite for core program. And then also the term before is we, we have a whole day for the teams to get together, do their collaborative planning, where they're analysing, moderating the content and the data, whatever our kids got, what have we got to get them to. Um, and then that sets up what, what we'll teach the following term for the morning routine and the other parts of the day. Um, and yeah. those collaborative days cover everything. So that way the teachers, even though they may not uh, create the program as such, They've got that shared understanding. So when they start the following term, it, they know how it's all mapped out, why we're choosing certain vocabulary, why we're choosing certain texts where it fits all together. That yeah, so yeah. So when you when you talk about like the prerequisite knowledge, um, mm. is so say you've got a new teacher coming in, are they kind of going through like this professional learning uh, before they engage with any sort of like program development? Yeah, so we sort of like I mentioned, yeah, sort of like apprentices. So we're doing the middle leaders that are working with them, our curriculum instruction leaders. They're sort of pinning on top of what our general PL is, doing that extra bit, you know, this is what a good program would look like. We use this explicit teaching, you know, uh, when we do the DEMS, we want you to look out for Rosenshine principles or watch my review and see how I'm doing retrieval practice. Those type of things are what our um, curriculum leaders are doing so when it comes to planning day they've got that little bit of knowledge to help build up we don't expect them to be experts um, but we'll support them to get there and when they that when when it's their turn to create the program um, we'll put someone experienced with them or a, a, the curriculum leaders to help them as well yeah so it's kind of um, having them build up that knowledge while working is it one-on-one -on -one with an instructional leader Usually, yeah, but they'll also have their um, assistant principal middle leader that looks after them, plus experienced staff. Yeah, we, we try not to put all the new ones together because then as a team, they're going to find it hard. So, you know, you be strategic with your classrooms. You try and get your experienced teacher next to the new teacher to help them out and things like that as well. Yeah. So back to the day then. So morning routine, our morning routine has four parts. Yeah. Uh, we day date weather where we look at like geography, general knowledge, you know, knowing what a calendar looks like, knowing the days of the week in kindergarten um, through to stage three, knowing where the Gregorian calendar comes from, those type of uh, general knowledge skills. Um, and then we have um, 
Talk for Learning, where we're practicing speaking and listening uh, from kindergarten all the way through, the high expectation of you know, uh, talking in full sentences, making sure you're clear, using new vocabulary, and that's where we can fit in some of our vocab teaching from reading and explicitly teach some vocab. We use that in their sentences each day. Uh, so then from, from there, we have sentence of the day where we're doing our grammar punctuation explicit teaching. Um, kindy learning what a simple sentence is through to year six embedded clauses in a um, in a complex sentence uh, and then we have problem of the day for maths as well and we do a bit of 100 days of learning for the little ones where they count the days and do that sort of thing so it's sort of those four parts um, and it's a gradual release of responsibility so it's sort of a mini teach each day until sort of Wednesday Thursday where it's like a daily review of what you've learned and building up what you've learned in the previous six weeks as well um, so that morning routine is it's first half an hour every day, um, but it's massive because it, it's it's the set routine. Every class um, for the first half an hour every day, they come in and they've got their morning routine. So it helps behaviour-wise as well because um, they just know. They come in, they grab their mini whiteboards, they grab their pens, and they start straight away. There's not no fluff to start the day. There's no kid, you know, fiddle around in the bag room because he's got a new toy in there. None of those type of things that come in morning routine starts the day. Yeah. And, you know, having seen the morning routines at your school and, and um, just how enthusiastic the students are as well, you know, they, they can see the benefits of this morning routine and, and kind of front loading their knowledge um, for the different parts of the curriculum um, that they're going to be looking at throughout the day and throughout that, you know, that term really. Um, you know, in terms of like the decisions made over like the, the four kind of areas, you know, you've looked at some things which are quite specific to, you know, the, the syllabus and then you've got a couple of other areas which are kind of more general knowledge. Um, how have you found that in terms of fitting it all in? So with the general knowledge, we try to fit it with the other KLAs. So there's a bit of science, a bit of geography, a bit of history sort of thing as well. So like we know it's tricky to fit six key learning areas here in New South Wales in the five hours every day sort of thing. So we, that's where we'd be strategic with that as well. Um, and we, when we've when we've um, planned out the sequence of what we do in morning routine, we've done our best to link it with the key learning areas. So that way it's not doing extra work on top of what the teachers have already got sort of thing. That's where that fits in there. Yeah. And how have you ensured fidelity of, of the morning routine? So that comes down back to our core program. So um, the core program for morning routine um, is set out from K to six and it's mapped from kindy are learning to say the days of the week through, you know, year one are learning to write them through and then it builds up all the way through. So the core skills are sort of, they build up each year and they're practiced daily until mastery and sort of thing. So we've got the scope and sequence. Uh, and then on planning days, when the, the middle leaders are leading those planning days, they're going through and, we're annotating, making it annotating, making notes when they're planning, making sure it's getting covered. Um, and I guess there's the um, uh, the accountability side where we're checking programs once a term as well. So we're making sure um, it's being planned, looking at is it being marked off, being taught, and then we can see through walkthroughs and lesson observations, are the can we see the kids doing it? And it's easy to tell. Yeah, if you walk through and the kids are able to, you know, kindy can say the days of the week, you know, they've been practicing it. Um, yep. yeah. In a stage one class, if they can predict the weather and tell you what the minimum maximum temperature is, you know, they've been doing the day date weather for that term sort of thing. Yeah. And, and what are some kind of common areas that you've seen uh, maybe teachers having misconceptions in, in what the morning routine actually is? 
Um, I think one of the big ones to start with is that they've got a, a lot of modeling earlier in the week. So it's sort of set across the five days. You model Monday, you probably model Tuesday, a bit of shared teaching on Wednesday, uh, guided independent Thursday, and then independent Friday. Sometimes they they were missing the, the modeled on the Monday. Um, okay. you know, and, and because we expect our teachers to know, novices won't know much. We've got to explicitly teach them. Sometimes they miss, they were missing that explicit teaching to start with. And you get the, what does everyone know about, uh, say, what stage, stage three sometimes do a, um, a, a quest like the Greek gods. What do you know about the Greek gods? And most kids won't have that, that schema. So some, yeah. when it's, it's working with the teachers to go, no, they're going, they're novices. We're going to explicitly, explicitly teach them to start with. And then once you get further along, you can do the retrieval of tell me the 12 Greek gods or things like that. Yeah, cool. Thanks for clearing that up. Because I think, yeah, one of the things with the morning routine is that a lot of teachers have heard about a morning routine, but there's different ways of doing it. Some of them are kind of more focused on like just retrieval practice. Yeah. Um, so you don't have that explicit teaching. So that, that might be where that, that kind of misconception comes into it. Um, yeah, whereas you're making it quite clear that while it's being done at the start of the day, uh, there are still certain aspects and you're going to start with that um, explicit teaching. All right, yeah. so first half hour, that's done. Morning yeah, routine. There's quite a lot. <laughs> there's quite a lot there, yeah. And, and I, you know, I know as well that teachers can struggle to cut that down to the, the 30 minutes as well. Yeah. Um, you know, especially at the start when they are trying to work out how to fit it all in, but then – um, I feel, you know, once once they've really got a hang of what that routine is and, um, you know, the students have an understanding on those, you know, the routines within the routine, I think that makes it uh, a lot yeah. more efficient. The, the other thing to it is knowing that you've got a term to cover the content. Uh, some of the teachers try and do every part every day. It's uh, like, yeah. no, let's pick pick one thing. So um, say uh, Maybe, maybe it's days of the week for year one, making sure they can write them and spell them correctly. Yeah, you might st some teachers try and do every single, write it all seven days every day, and it takes up too much time. Whereas let's break it down, smaller steps, we scaffold them, let's get Monday right. Once they get Monday, let's build in Tuesday, build it up. And then you, you could take seven weeks to learn to write every word uh, each day of the week, but make it easier. And that way you're not getting a 45-minute morning routine every day because you're trying to fit everything in. That's one of the big things with the teachers as well. Um, yeah, picking something small and slowly build on it. Yeah, you know, and again, that, that, that relates back to, you know, Rosenstein's principles of sequencing concepts in small steps. And um, I guess knowing that you've got this scope and sequence uh, and understanding how learning happens, I can, I can see how important it is to have uh, that prerequisite knowledge that, that, that you talk about. Um, you know, like for teachers that haven't seen the morning routine, like one of the things that really like stands out to me when I have seen it um, done effectively is the amount of engagement from the students. You know, you, you're intentionally um, building up that knowledge throughout the week. And so they're feeling confident. Um, there's lots of choral responses. Um, so, and I think like one of the um, areas of like choral responses, which is probably underestimated a little bit, is just the power of it when you have a whole class all kind of responding in unison um, positively and I think yeah. you know that that's what one thing that really stood out to me when I see uh, some other teachers do it and maybe not so effectively a lot of the times is because they're not in unison they're not saying it with purpose um, you know so it, it's just really clear that the teachers at Marsden Road that I um, was able to observe they really understood like the importance of it and 
um, so did the students. Yeah, and what what we've seen teachers do is we uh, we use Siegfried Engelman's um, uh, spelling mastery direct instruction program, and in there there's it's the idea of you got a signal, so whether it's a click or a tap or something like that. A lot of our teachers bought little castanets, those little hand ones, and they use that sometimes when they want their call response because they know the power of all the kids saying it all at the same time, you, and they build that. The kids have that success, and it's that and part of a team you know when you're singing as a choir you know you get that feeling as well and it's yeah. really good like seeing seeing some of our year one kids be able to recall the parts of a compound sentence you know two main clauses connected with a coordinating conjunction and they they can rattle off the seven of them and they got little action with it and they just love it because and, and then with that success we're building their well but their, their well-being and engagement as well so we don't have to do all the you know, fancy bells and whistles, making sure we've got engaging lessons because the kids are having success and that's where the engagement and success comes from. Yeah, and I, and I think like the importance of having success at the start of the day is just so important as well, you know, starting on that front foot and then, you know, building on to whatever comes next. So, Troy, what comes next? What does come next? So usually it's reading after that. So half hour morning routine and then reading can be half hour to an hour. Um, in our younger years, K to two, it's usually phonics with some guided reading. Uh, and then our older years, we look at fluency and guided reading as well. So with our phonics for our K to twos, usually 20 minutes, half an hour every day. Uh, and that's where we're doing our systematic synthetic phonics, um, you know, teaching the eight parts, whether it's the encoding or decoding both sides of it. Um, we use um, the get reading right sequence. So our kids from kindy through to, K to, through to year two, we make sure we cover everything um that's a, the key part and then from there with our k to twos they will move into guided reading where uh they're reading text at, at you know at, at a level sort of thing and um you know usually the decodables but once they they work through their decodables we have you know mini chapter books uh, a lot of non-fiction and that non-fiction is linked sometimes to morning routine if they're learning about um uh, mini beasts in their morning routine they're going to be reading about it and then they'll be writing about it as well um, so that's our K to two. And then our three to six, we, we've got fluency. So we have an, um, we do sort of fluency development. So we have um, set passages where they're working at meeting their goal for the words correct per minute sort of thing, each year group. Uh, they do that and a bit of a close read as well. So building some vocab, doing a bit of comprehension, uh, sort of modeled and guided, the teacher leading that. Uh, and then the three to six do go into guided reading as well, where they're sort of uh, often we'll have... Um, our text based around what they're learning to write about. Uh, I mentioned before the quest stage three do with the Greek gods and whatnot. So they'll be reading nonfiction about the Greeks and the Greek gods and um, you know, ancient Greece and all that type of stuff. And then from there, they'll have um, fiction as well, similar. So reading short stories you know, about Heracles and Perseus and things like that to help build them um, get there as well. And the other key part is they have a novel as well. So there's quite a bit of different types of reading happening. They're doing mini you know, short reads, nonfiction, and then the kids will have their novel as well in guided reading. Uh, and it all builds through um, in that guided reading. So, And then with our guided reading, um, usually we've got a prepare activity. So each group has to do something before they see the teacher the next day. So they're ready to you know, discuss the text, talk about key vocab. Uh, and then on the day when they're with the teacher, it's a half hour you know, at their level, which the kids look forward to every day. You know, once a week they get that, that half hour with the teacher um, and you sort of sometimes you put the caveat in if you're not doing your work properly you won't get the time with the teacher sort of thing 
Um, and then they follow up. They usually you know, a bit of writing or something the next day. Uh, and then a couple other rotations might be some vocabulary, uh, some independent reading. Uh, for the little ones, will be some vocab and you know some phonics work as well. Yeah. Okay. So just um, going back a little bit. So when you when you're talking about actually developing your scope and sequence and looking at what they're reading about, um, have you been like intentional with, with what sorts of uh, things you've included there? Yeah, so um, we look at what we're doing in the other key learning areas, whether it's history, geography, science, try to fit things around there. Um, one of our, one of my favourite units that we do at our school is the uh, natural disasters they do in stage two. So it fits in with the science and geography sort of side of it. Uh, and the kids love it. Yeah, they're, 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 they're telling you, you shouldn't live near volcanoes because of the danger. But then some of them, oh, no, you should be living there because it has great, the, the soil's amazing. Like just the vocab and the discussions they have out of it's really good. And that, you know, they read about it, the nonfiction, and then they've got, they've found texts that go with it. Um, and then they're writing amazing persuasive texts as well. So it's sort of, we make sure it fits with KLAs. Um, and then sometimes, you know, like our quest one where, um, with Greek gods, it's more of a, um, you know, creative writing or the English side of it. So we sort of try and find a balance there. Yeah. And so how do you fit it all in, in terms of like your reading and your writing? Are you doing like, um, is it reading and then writing in, in that kind of one, one and a half hours or is it alternative? Um, alternative days or weeks we, we try yeah we try to fit it in that our first block is about two hours so half hour morning routine half hour phonics or fluency then guided reading and writing most days it probably doesn't fit in so sometimes you're writing you might do an extra bit of writing in the afternoon or you know find another half hour somewhere else that's the ideal but you know sometimes we got you might have scripture or an assembly so just do your best to fit it in the two hours with more yeah morning routine reading and writing yeah um, and so in terms of like the structure of your classes, um, I know you've got a fairly big school for, uh, you know, primary school in New South Wales. Uh, how have you kind of set out your classes and, and, you know, are they staying within their class group for, for these different aspects or are they moving around? How's that yeah, so for for English for most of the day they're with their set class, um, you know, mixed ability classes. Um, one thing we do in terms of differentiation is have differentiated seating in the classroom. So we'll have rows on the floor or at their tables. Um, have our most most able kids at the back and work forward from there sort of thing so the ones at the front can get that teacher attention when you give them a pair you know a, a turn and talk pair share sort of thing you can be at the front helping the young ones uh, the more needy ones sorry um so we've got that but yeah english english and other klas with the class all day and maths we have streamed our maths groups for that that's probably the only time oh and spelling mastery because with if you know spelling mastery the different levels you need to stream that
There was a chant from a year four class on the elements of writing with their teacher, Karen Speechley. The choral response is such a great way to check for understanding, retrieval practice, and build fluency. While it doesn't necessarily automatically result in conceptual understanding, it provides a reference point for students to connect to. As you heard, Marsden Road, through their work with Joanne Duna, have really mastered this technique. Next, you will hear from Troy again as he breaks down what they do for writing. Yeah, so it's explicit teaching writing, and then we look at the the 10 components that are in the NAPLAN marking criteria, but I guess the two sides where it's the, the clerical and the ideation or the, you know, we talk about it's, you've got your ideas, your big brains, all the stuff we learn at school, all your schema, your big ideas, that's your, your content when you put it in. And then you've got, your just do it. Uh, we talk about it with the kids, you know, Nike tick, just do it. You've got to get your punctuation, right. You've got to get your, your paragraphing sentence structure cohesion. You just got to get that stuff, right. So some of that, um, that side of it is done in morning routine when we do our sentence of the day, how to write sentences correctly, get your punctuation correctly. Uh, and then in our writing lessons, we can spend more time building the text, whether it's persuasive, informative, writing to entertain, and we build it there. Uh, one of the most powerful things we've got from our writing is um, from Joanne Duna's training 24-7, um, the blanks and blocks, which is it's it's teaching the kids a scaffold for their planning um, so when they do their writing, they've already got a scaffold in their head or they can draw the scaffold. And it's really just them getting their ideas in into that scaffold and writing it. And, you know, through through multiple practices of different types, it's automatic for them. So they can plan easily and they've got the ideas because in the past you'd be like, oh, the kids don't have any ideas for writing. You know, it's usually about zombies or they went to their cousin's house, those type of typical types of stories, whereas now they, they've got their structures, whether it's a good over evil tale or a warning tale like Little Red Riding Hood, Nemo type thing. They can take that structure and build their own. And it's just amazing some of the writing we see because we also link it with what they're doing in morning routine and reading. So they're, you know, they're building schema to write about as well. Yeah, so for those that don't know about the blanks and the blocks, do you want to just describe them in a bit more detail? Yeah, so blanks are for mainly for your K to two, but some of your you know, your um, refugee, uh, new English learners as well can be helpful. It's it's sort of like a sentence starter. One day, such and such lived in a forest, or uh, so if, you know, good over evil. One day, Troy lived in a forest. Uh, suddenly, a big bad wolf came along. He didn't know what to do. Luckily, his mum came and saved the day. Like that's a nice, simple blank, and you usually keep like you keep the nouns out of it. So one day, and then the kids learn that structure over over five sentences, four or five sentences, and they build it up. And once they got the basic idea, you can start building. All right, let's see if we can add some adjectives in there, or oh, what type of day was it? One sunny day, or things, and we build up from there. And it works really well from kindy all the way through to our year twos, and that they just that they know the structure so they can build out the sentences and start adding in more detail and sort of from there with the blanks is we build it up into blocks so there's sort of chunks of the blocks are sort of you know, squares on a page blocks for the as a block planner and each block is a paragraph and what you'd expect in a in a a warning tale or a quest or something like that depends yeah. on the type of writing Awesome. And um, yeah, I've seen some of those pieces of writing from your school and, and they're really impressive. And, and I agree with you, you know, without the blanks and the blocks, you're not seeing that level of um, sophistication in, in the writing. Um, it, it's a, a great scaffold. Yeah, it's amazing. And I think for our teachers, because that's all we all we do, like 
it's all most of our teachers know is when we have new kids come in and they don't know the blocks and blanks and you look at their writing and it's just it, you know it's all over the place punctuations out of not there the story you know the cohesion's out of out of order sort of thing you can just see the difference yeah okay so that's kind of your your morning block there um you know your first couple of hours at school then then you usually have a bit of a break yeah um so after your break do you want to just describe what happens then yeah, so um, for our K to twos, it will be probably some maths and then the other KLAs. Um, but the sort of at our three to six side is where it's a bit more structured. So three to six, we do our streamed spelling mastery. Um, half hour straight after recess, they go with a level A through to F and they're working on their level for spelling. Uh, and then they go to their maths group. So that's usually an hour and a half, Monday to Thursday, um, where we've sort of got certain parts of our maths. Uh, and then at the end of the day, the last hour of the other KLA, so history, geography, science, and things like that. Um, and probably the big thing is our maths. So we expect three things done in maths on those four days for the hour and a half. Uh, we do a mentals. So usually it's just a um, sort of like a mentors book where you can, you know, you get from most publishers and things like that, where the kids are doing that retrie uh, yeah, retrieval practice of sort of all the strands um, with some new teaching as well. Uh, and then we have a warm-ups, which is sort of uh, like a daily review for maths, where you know, we're checking, do they know their times tables? Do they know their number facts? Uh, do they know how to convert measurement? Can they read the time? Those things, the little things they need to know. So when they get to problem solving or you know, multiplying three-digit numbers, make that a little bit easier because we're thinking about the, the, the cognitive load for them um, in terms of the maths. Uh, and then we have our explicit teaching, which usually goes for about an hour. Okay, the most important thing when you are adding with an algorithm is place value. Okay, so here I have a four-digit number. What is the largest place value in this number? Four thousand. No, so I said what is the largest place value? Thousands. Thousands, okay? All right, so I'm going to show you with this, but I already know that most of you don't need this, okay? What column goes here? That was Cindy Chi, Modeling and Addition Algorithm. As you're about to hear from Choi, he tells us how they use textbooks from Prime that is based on Singapore maths to help reduce teacher workload and to follow a sequential curriculum. One of the kickbacks against using textbooks can be that they're boring and it doesn't involve the teacher. However, at Marsden Road, as you just heard, it is far from just teachers telling students to open up to page blah blah and complete the questions. This snippet from Cindy was part of multiple examples that she went through, and she was constantly checking for understanding and honing in on certain points based on the data she was getting from her students. So, let's go back to my conversation with Troy as he talks about the explicit teaching part of the maths lesson. Yeah, so we use a uh, program called Prime from Scholastic, and it puts it's it's put the scope and sequence together for us. Um, 
you know, make it a little bit easier for the teachers and they basically understand the content and can teach it. They don't have to think about the, the programming side of that. Um, big thing with that is the explicit teaching. Uh, they use I do, we do, you do, which fits nicely with what we do across the school with our explicit teaching. Um, so it starts with our modelled teaching. Um, a lot of concrete examples, uh, that's a big thing. So having you know, your counters, your place value charts, um, your arm balances when you're doing measurement or you know, those type of things so that kids can see it and then building from the, the uh, concrete to pictorial representations through the abstract. Um, you know, we want kids to understand everything that the, the abstract ideas in school, but with maths, we found it was really difficult without the concrete. So when we do our model, we have that with it as scaffolds, slowly take the scaffolds away till it's we do with the shared guided teaching. Uh, and then they have the independent practice, but the teacher's there the whole time working through that. Uh, we do stream our three to six because we found uh, with some of our kids, when they come to school, their maths is low. There's still quite a big gap. So we try to uh, when we look at our math scope and sequence, we look at what's the enduring understanding they need. Uh, for some of our kids, knowing six strategies for addition is not going to be helpful for them. So we we narrow it down and go, all right, let's hit two and get them done really well, rather than having six things to confuse them when they sit there and go, yeah, how many patter pop sticks all together in a problem? We want them to have two good strategies rather than too many. Yeah, good point there. And I like how you've thought about that as well. Um, you know, you, you briefly spoke about this before, but I think like one of the the key things that stands out from talking to both you and Manisha is how much knowledge teachers need to have to deliver all of this. What sorts of things do you put in place to ensure that firstly, um, you're able to sustain what you've got? And then secondly, that you're continually developing your teachers at the same time? Yeah, so I talked about the planning day. That's probably the big one of making sure the teacher's on the right page for everything's going to be taught the plan, the term ahead. So on that day, they go through, all right, we're going to teach this unit or uh, um, what, you know, and this is the schema we're going to need for it. And the teachers will be discussing that schema as they're going. And then they go, oh, well, so what vocabulary is going to fit with that and why? And then they sit together and they have to select it from the scope and sequence. Um, from there, that they'll select readings they might do or texts. So they're all involved. So then they've got that knowledge behind it. And then when they do the writing, we get the teachers to uh, actually write an exemplar text together as a team when they're doing the collaborative planning. So they know the challenges and what it would look like when they're teaching it to the kids when they're having to model for the kids as well. Um, so there's all of that knowledge in terms of the content. And then yeah. I guess with with the the pedagogy side, it's those discussions throughout. Uh, I was at a, a planning day earlier in the year where we were talking about how we're going to teach vocabulary and we're trying to encourage dual coding for the kids. So teach it with an action or with a picture. Uh, and then some of the teachers sort of got a bit lost in the conversation going, oh, that's going to be too hard to try and draw. Let's do a different type of vocab. And it's sort of having to bring it back and go, hang on, is it the vocab or is it what we're trying to teach? How we teach it is important. Uh, so we had to go back and go, all right, no, it's the vocab is the important stuff for this. You know, um, I think, what was it? Looking at words for disgusting or something like that when the, in their sure. um, writing to entertain. So they, yeah. they changed the activity rather than trying to fit the, the content to the activity they changed the activity because the content was the important part so knowing that was important as well like when we think back to the pedagogy side so we need the content and and how to teach it sort of thing and it, it's happening all the time planning days and then um our professional learning scope and sequence i guess um 
agenda for the year we we plan that out so we know you know we've got this many weeks in term one let's hit cognitive load theory let's go back and do a review of reading um let's look at some grammar because we know grammar is sometimes tricky um you know how do we program for maths we look at what's happening in the school and and look at those sort of things so like this year we've been looking at reviewing how we uh, how our pedagogy uh is used in the school and why we make our choices and really building the knowledge for teachers so they can defend why we're doing certain pedagogies in our school. Yeah. And so how have you found, um, you know, that whole process of supporting teachers and, and I know, you know, you're a few years into it now, but um, there would have been a lot of teachers, especially at the start who would have had to change a lot about, you know, how they think about teaching and learning. Um, how is that whole process? It starts with Manisha. So Manisha know what she knows what she wants. Yeah, she's she's looked at the evidence. Um, she's worked with Joanne Duna, and they sort of they come as a package deal, buy one get one free sort of thing. Um, but they know they know the content and they know the the pedagogy and how it should be taught and it comes from there so our executive team we make sure we all have that knowledge as well. So when we're talking about it with our teachers, there's there's no. Um, there's nothing missed and we're all on the same page. And then from there, all of our professional learning is building that knowledge up all the time. Manisha's in all of them. She'll lead some of them. And we just, you know, we started small in terms of, you know, let's build some knowledge around phonics and comprehension because we didn't have that to start with. And then, our, and I guess, depending on what side of the content you're looking at, whether it's English, maths, other KLAs, pedagogy is going to be under an underlying theme for everything so we make sure we always touch on that as well um but we you know we started small and we slowly built up um four or five years ago when cognitive load theory started coming out that was a big thing we looked at um we had a whole day conference on it and we try to set those things up along the way so we can have all the teachers getting that knowledge and we build from there and that's where our sort of our curriculum leaders help the new teachers backfilling that knowledge that they probably missed out on so just building off that, a lot of schools and, and teachers, they'll be looking at Marsden Road now, especially after, you know, you've been featured in the Grattan Institute report. And, and I know that you've already had uh, lots of schools coming to visit anyway. Um, what sort of advice would you give to them, uh, you know, for schools that are looking to get started in, in developing, you know, something like the core program and yeah. um, having a, a more whole school approach to what they're doing? I think the curriculum and the scope and sequence side, so that core program side, that's the easier part. You know, yeah. you might be able to borrow the the sequences or, you know, sometimes you buy scope and sequences, things like that. And once it's done, you only sort of have to tweak along the way. Uh, it's more so the the essential agreements or the understanding of how your curriculum, how it's going to be taught. And that's probably the big part for if I was at, you know, starting a new school or coming into that journey would be looking at, your PL focus on why do we teach the way we teach? You know, beginning, make sure they know our biologically primary, secondary, started building on that, you know, secondary stuff, it's cultural knowledge or cultural expectations. So you're going to have to explicitly teach it because we're not hardwired to learn it automatically. Um, and then knowing, you know, the idea of the continuum, I guess, from novice to expert. Most of our kids are novices in everything they're going to learn at school because they're not going to learn it you know, just by staying at home. So we have to treat them like novices. You know, when when you're a novice, things are hard to learn. Thinking's hard to do. So we've got to think about building schema for that. Um, and then thinking about cognitive load theory, where that fits in. Yeah, we're going to have a high cognitive load when you're learning something new, but we have scaffolds and we break things into smaller steps through our explicit teaching because they're novices to help them 
at the end of the day, we want them to learn it, the knowledge, skills, strategies to get them through school. So I think a big focus on the pedagogy because you can transfer that across all your key learning areas anyway. Yeah, really good point. And um, you briefly touched on essential agreements. So what what are yeah. they and how, how do you use them? So essential agreement basically says how we'll teach a subject. Um, in English, so for example, phonics. In phonics, we use uh, synth- synthetic phonics. We'll explicitly teach phonics every day. So it's sort of, it's a run sheet of this is what we expect in phonics in every classroom. Um, it's all based on evidence, you know, evidence-based practices or evidence-informed. So, you know, we take things from key research, um, the Centre for Educational Statistics and Evaluation from New South Wales, take information from there. We've got Rosenshine principles scattered throughout, but we've we've put those together as what we essentially agree as a school is how we'll teach each subject. Uh, and then we also have some for, you know, our pedagogical practices, Um how we assess, everything's in there. So, you know, as a new teacher, it's a lot of knowledge to build, but because it's all there, we can have accountability and we can have that fidelity across the school. If the essential agreement says we'll all teach synthetic phonics, as we do walkthroughs through K to two, we should be seeing synthetic phonics. So, And we support them in how to do that as well. It's not just like, here's the program, away you go, try your best. We, you know, I've talked quite a bit, our PL is, make sure they know how to do that as well. So essentially the essential agreement is how we expect things to be done at Marsden Road. Yeah. And so how do you actually use it? Um, the essential agreement? Yeah. yeah. So it's a the teachers, we expect teachers to know them. And then that's sort of when when we're teaching the new teachers how to use the program, how to teach certain aspects, that's sort of like the the cheat sheet, I guess, is this what it should look like? Yeah, we um, phonics. We start with a. We might have a. Re- you start with a review. What have we learned already? Or in that review, might be they're struggling with this. I'm going to reteach this part. And then you know, you have your modelled part of the lesson where you're teaching the new content, whether it's reading or writing in the phonics. Uh, and then what the other parts of the lesson will look like there. And also things like what what uh, vo- what key vocabulary we'll use. You know? We make sure all of our kids, they know what a phoneme is, they know what a grapheme is, they know digraphs, trigraphs, all of that key vocab's in there as well. So as a teacher, you can use that in the classroom. And when you know, if you teach them in kindergarten, the year one teacher will know that vocab and that key knowledge that you expect in the school should have been taught because it's in the essential agreement and you've agreed to do it. Year one teacher goes, this is great. I can start, you know, start the start running straight away rather than having to reteach or teach new vocab. Yeah, I think it, it just clears up a lot of that um, misunderstanding or um, I guess not even, you know, most schools that, that don't have an essential agreement or they don't have a whole school um, curriculum approach, a lot of the time they're just guessing what teachers have done previously, you know, yeah. whereas this, this just kind of takes away that guesswork a lot of the times. One thing our teachers have really liked is there's some of them are like, well, we want the same the same sayings or the same, um, I guess, uh, oh, I've got a bit of a mental blank, the same sayings each time. So the same chant, I should say. So, yeah, if we're chanting this in phonics, we want it the same all the way through. And, and, and groups of our teachers will get together, you know, create a PowerPoint or a slide deck that will have all the chants in it and then, They'll bring it to exec or the exec team will work with them and say, we think this would be a good good group of chance for writing for phonics. And we have a look at it. We go, yep, that sounds pretty good. And then we'll 
you know, have it for everyone and everyone gets a copy of the slide deck. So that way it's the common language throughout the whole school. So whether I walk into a, a year one or a year five class, they'll have common language that I can use straight away. Yeah, that consistency is just so important and, and it just makes things easier for everyone. Oops, um, you know, because like you said, you know, if you're able to kind of have it going from one year group to the next, um, you don't have to kind of keep coming up with new ones every year. Yeah, it's uh, it's, just, it's so powerful. Like it, the ki- And the kids love it as well because they know it. So it's sort of like a bit of a show off. Or, oh, I can show Mr. Varey that I know my phonics dance or I can show Mr. Varey I know the different conjunctions for a compound sentence sort of thing. And you know, that, that little, like we talked earlier, that because they're having success, they're more engaged as well. Cool. Um, Troy, it's been great chatting to you today and I think this will be really useful for a lot of schools and teachers out there because this is kind of what everyone is striving for, you know, to have that whole school approach to the curriculum and um, and then we're able to get into, you know, some of those finer details as in terms of what, what that actually looks like and how we can support teachers in implementing it in the classroom as well. So just finally, what other bits of knowledge do you feel more teachers need to have or what resources would you recommend? So I've sort of gone five things here. I sort of prepared for this one. So teachers, I think we, we, we drive home at our school. We want our teachers to teach and retrieve uh, and we want our students to learn and remember. Uh, I've been listening to some Doug Lemoff podcasts recently and talked about John Wooden, the UCLA basketball court coach. Yeah. We talked about teaching and coaching is knowing the difference between I taught it and they learned it. And that's where we drive home that we want teachers to teach and retrieve. You know, you're explicitly teaching your new content and you're retrieving regularly so the kids don't forget. And then we teach to tell the students, we want you to learn. So it's going to be hard and we want you to remember. So we're going to do lots of practice so you don't forget what we've taught you. And that's probably one of the big things. Um, so, yeah, they, teachers need to know their content pedagogy and assessment so they can teach and retrieve and the kids are going to learn and remember it. Um, the other thing is build routines. Um, I haven't talked about yet, but our Marsden way, we've got routines for just about everything for the school, how you greet the teacher, how you walk around the school, how you set up your classroom. And it just makes it so much easier. Once you've got your routine set up in the first you know, two weeks of school, you can spend your time teaching and learning rather than going, oh, I've got to deal with this behavior issue because he dropped his pencils and someone got in his way or those type of things. You don't have to worry about that. So build your routines, um, keep it simple as well. It talked about cognitive load theory. Yeah, don't put all you know, fancy pictures and things all over your PowerPoints. Uh, yeah, clean PowerPoints, use your mini whiteboards, uh, butcher's paper in the classroom. It doesn't have to always be tech. Keep it simple and it'll work for the teachers um, and the kids because at the end of the day, you want them learning rather than focusing on what it looks like sort of thing. Um, the next one is vo- avoid the edgy fads or yeah, uh, those type of things. Um my big concern is why do we allow at-risk students, so whether they're learning additional language from a low SES background, why do we allow those kids to endure all, the, endure all these edu fads? You know, we're going to take down the walls and we'll have open plan learning when adults don't like doing it in an office. Why are we doing it with little kids? Um, flexible seating, inquiry learning, those type of things. Um, stick with what works. So look at your evidence-based practices, explicitly teach your kids or know your kids, so whether they're experts or novices and go from there sort of thing. Uh, and then I guess from a wellbeing side is find a balance. Uh, I like to have a bit of a, an eight to four mentality. I'll, I'll work from eight to four. I'll check my emails and things like that. But then I try and check out after that. Um, we know, you know, work, work-life work balance can be tricky for teachers. Um, and I learned the hard way when I first started working in London. I thought I had to do you know, three, four, three or four hours every night working 
working my butt off sort of thing. Um, and then I sort of, you know, had that bit of a realization doing an extra two hours, making a slide deck pretty or having a laminated display really is not going to change much for the learning. So yeah, try and find that balance is probably the, the last thing there, sort of what I think teachers need. Yeah, for sure, and, and and I like how you've you've spoken about that last point because um, it also links back to having the whole school curriculum as well because that gives time back to teachers. Yeah, they don't have to you know worry about um, spending every night creating all of these different resources because as a school collectively you've already um, created the majority of the things that they need um, to teach well uh, the following day. So. Yeah. You know, I think it's um, yeah, re really great tips there. And uh, thanks again, Troy, for your time today. Yeah, I've got resources. Do you mind? <laughs> I got those as well. Oh, great. Yeah. So sure. I'd say if you're a new teacher, grab Dan Williams' book, Why Don't Students Like School? Um, that was amazing. When I first read that, uh, it was a bit of chance. I picked it up in a secondhand bookstore in LA when I was on holidays. And <laughs> it was I, I was just like, oh, this, I think, Joanne Duna talked about it. Well, this looks all right. So I picked it up, secondhand bookstore, and probably one of the best books I've picked up about teaching. And, and from there, you can build out sort of your knowledge about teaching and learning, whether it's cognitive load theory. You know, we've got John Sweller here in Australia, sort of lead, the leader of cognitive load theory. And you can get on to CC from New South Wales to find out more about that one. Uh, explicit teaching is massive. So you, we talked about Rosenshine's principles, whether you look at Archer and Hughes's explicit teaching or Hollingsworth and Yabara EDI. Um, we've got more Australians doing work on that. So Lorraine Hammond at Edith Cowan University uh, and Aero, the Australian Education Research Organisation, has work on that. Um, I guess big thing for reading, know about quality, uh, explicit teaching of reading, you know, ending the reading wars, know your five parts of reading sort of thing. Um, there's a nice article, Ending the Reading Wars, from um, Anne Castles, Russell and Nation. So another Australian there helping out. So we've got plenty of Aussies that are leading the way with quality teaching. Uh, Pam Snow as well. Uh, and then if you want to look at some of those things, we work closely with Training 24-7. So I've mentioned Joanne Duna a few times. They put all of those things together um, and, you know, make it easy for teachers to find out about. So that was sort of probably my big resources, I'd, I'd say, for teachers. Yeah, you're not the first person to uh, to mention a lot of those. And and I think it just kind of... Um reiterates like how important those those bits of information are to get uh, because it just yeah. gives you a really strong understanding of like how learning and how effective teaching actually happens um, and it allows you to make more informed decisions about your practice yeah, yeah definitely it's you know doctors need to know their stuff you know pediatricians need to know like all those experts and professionals need to know their stuff teachers need to know it as well um it just needs to be done Thanks, Troy. Thanks for your time thanks. and uh, yeah, I'll see you around. All right. Thanks, Brendan. Consistency, pace, stamina and enjoyment. These features really stood out to me from my visit to Marsden Road Public School. And after speaking to both Manisha and Troy, it is clear that they have put so much time and energy into refining every little aspect of it and it's still an unfinished job. You can hear it in their voices that their improvement is not a result of luck but hard work and a relentless focus on improving the outcomes for all of their students. Here are my key takeaways from my chat with Troy. Marsden Road has high expectations, but also high levels of support to ensure teachers are able to meet those expectations. There are prerequisites of knowledge that teachers are required to know in order to follow the core program. 
and staff are taught that knowledge first. New staff members are treated like apprentices and work side by side with experienced teachers. Planning days are really structured with an outline for the term ahead and clear goals for the day. The importance of breaking down concepts into small steps and not trying to get it all done at once. The need for choral responses to be on point. Troy also spoke about how they use blanks and blocks as scaffolds for student writing. I love the thought they've put into meeting the needs of their students and his maths example is something that sometimes schools need to consider what they need to prioritise. Essential agreements outline what to do, how to do it, when to do it and why to do it. Marsden Road Public School is a type of school where beginning teachers would thrive, experienced teachers continue to develop and where students of all abilities can excel. Does it pass the, would I send my children their tests? 100% in a heartbeat. And this is despite my eldest being one of the lucky ones who learnt to read despite poor instructional practice. Because explicit instruction, calm classrooms, snappy routines and a knowledge-rich curriculum benefit all students. I highly recommend that you visit the school if you get an opportunity because it's such a great example of what effective education can look like. Next episode you will hear from Shaping Minds, Jordan O'Sullivan, and he will give us an overview of the science of learning, his process for putting together their maths curriculum, how Shaping Minds delivers effective professional learning, and much, much more. Following Jordan, Dr Nathaniel Swain will provide all the answers to those frequently asked questions that teachers have about the science of learning. So, that's it from me for today, but as always, stay curious, keep learning, and teach with purpose. Bye for now.